On this podcast, you're going to be hearing some pretty terrible subject matter. We know what you're thinking. That's why we're here. Keep going. However, topics covered may cause emotional or physiological distress to listeners and discretion is advised. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Hi, guys, and welcome back to That's Terrible. Keep going. I'm one of your co-hosts, Casey Kay. And I'm Amy Kay, the better sister. (laughs) The more pretty one, but I've got many qualities, many. I don't know what they are. It makes two of us. (laughs) But you guys came back. It's episode two. Woohoo. Woohoo. So we might just dive into this one. We might dive in. Are you ready, Greg? Yep. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So episode two, we are covering the tale of Linda Hazard otherwise known as the Starvation Doctor. Oh. Heard of this one? No, but my my interest is tingling. Oh, it's tingling. It's peaked perhaps. Did, um, Linda Hazard. Yeah, or Hazard, uh, Hazard. I don't know. Hazard, I guess. <laughs> That's the spirit. So this one's a bit woo-woo. I know some people aren't into the older crimes. Bear with me. Bear with me. This one is pretty unique and kind of first of its time. And I think it, I like it. I'm putting it in episode two because it's kind of like cult-like. And also at one point, it lands pretty close to our shores here in Australia. So I thought that's going to be a nice um, one to talk about. Also touches on fraud, swindling, and dare I say, serial killing. So all the terrible stuff. My I know. favorite. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Strap yourself in. So... But perhaps, as perhaps the title suggests, I just thought we'd do an extra warning. I know you get a little bit at the start, but it has strong themes that could be related or triggered to eating disorders. So please proceed with caution if this might be a triggering topic for you. So, okay, ready to set the scene. So Linda Laura Hazard, knee Burfield, was born Wait. in... That's a mouthful. I know. Linda Laura has a knee Burtfield. Yeah, so her her maiden name was Burfield. So, But as she knows and as she was um, known in this crime, her last name was Hazard. And obviously they they give their full three names because in case there's another Linda Hazard in history – it's another defining feature. So it's not like, oh, all serial killers get three names. It's just so that we can describe it and, ha- and give a bit more of a distinctiveness to their name. So Linda Laura Hazard, we'll call her Linda or Hazard for, um, I think, today's episode. But she was born in December. Ah, another December baby, Sagittarius. Little Saggy. So, you, so all these personality traits that we're coming across will be identical to yours, I presume. <sighs> um, but, yeah, so it was born in December 1867 in Carver, Minnesota, and was one of eight children. But little else is kind of known about her early life. But in 1885, she, 18, gets married and has two children. But 14 years later, she abandons her family to pursue a career in medicine. I'm making finger quotation here, guys, Mm. as an osteopathic nurse. So first red flag, she's abandoning her children. Mm. Um, Well, well, let's not just judge. Um, But how how old was she then? Sorry, how many years later? She was married 18, then has her two children. So add some time to that, then 14 years on that. So it's like around, you know, 32 kind of, um, early 30s, let's say. But in 1902, two years before our high school was founded, Doll. Oh, Oh, sorry. I don't know why these things flash to mind. Um, But, yeah, 1902, a parent, um, sorry, a patient of hers passes away whilst in her care and the coroner determines it to to be a death's door's 
caused by starvation and tries mm. to get her persecuted, oh, sorry, prosecuted, but still at this stage she's not legally registered a doctor, so she isn't actually held responsible. So it's some kind of loophole that they can't actually charge her because she wasn't a doctor in the care. She was just like a nurse or kind of pursuing a career in medicine. Also, it's very much... How can they prove that it was her that starved that made her, her, not starve, just the right? lady forgetting to eat or yes. what, what have you? Strangely, when the family comes to claim the patient's the body, all the expensive jewellery is missing. And Hazard can't really give a straight answer to explain this. Hmm. Hmm. Shortly after this, she obtained a degree in medicine, however, through a loophole. So she was able to practice medicine that was approved by the state of Washington at the time. It's a bit sus, but anyway, according to the state law, if you're working as a person of alternative medicine, you don't actually need a degree. So you could call it, oh, this is medicine of, I don't know what. Toes. I'd like to cut open your toe. Essentially, she could say anything. It's like an alternative medicine. And then you're like, okay, well, you don't actually need a medical degree, but you can say that you're studying or practicing medicine. So, I mean, entrepreneur, yes, but bitch, you're a quack. Like, there's no no way around it. So this um, alternative medicine of hers was this actual obsessive ideology that fasting, so in terms of food fasting, was the only way to get rid of impurities and toxins. Mm. I know. So all those issues in the world. I know. So um, here we go. She created an extreme form of fasting and was convinced it would cure anything, like diseases such as cancer at the time or even the common cold. I know. As this was taking shape, she started to get the word out in the early days of practicing her treatment. So in the early 1900s, around 1903 or 1904, it was kind of different in a couple of articles, um, Hazard actually met a man called Samuel Christman or Christman Hazard. And it, the articles describe him over six foot tall, dark hair, dark brooding moustache. You'd love one of those. And really big hands. I don't know why that was put in the article. <laughs> I don't. You know what they say about big hands? Big, big gloves. Hands. <laughs> Let's. Oh Took God. the words right out of my mouth. Um, anyway, so. And he had recently been booted out of the military for misappropriate um, misappropriating army funds. Red flag. Yep. Top bloke, apparently. So Samuel was a rogue, a cheat, and an alcoholic. What a trifecta. <laughs> Again, massive red flag, and our lovely Linda fell deeply in love with him. So the two seemed well-suited for each other, you know, both cheating, scamming their way through life, just two, two lovebirds running wild. But Sam, Samuel had also been married before. So remember, Linda was as well and had the kids and, and took off, um, married twice before. This is Samuel and either forgot he was still married to one of his previous wives or he just didn't care and when he married Linda. So that's what one article put it. But if you went into one of the court transactions of what happens later, mm. it tells a little bit of a different story. So we'll, we'll jump into that in a little bit. This resulted in Samuel serving two years in jail for bigamy. So remember back in those days, Crimes against marriage or crimes related to marriage and those type of old time laws is really, really. But even now you can't marry someone without divorce. That's right. It's not legally recognised. That's exactly right. So in 1906, it was two years after being in jail for the bigamy charge, he was released from prison two years later and the couple, that's him, Samuel and lovely Linda, moved to Washington for a fresh start. So one of the articles that I came across said that Samuel, the previous marriage, 
he was still kind of in love with her. But when Linda came onto the scene, she was kind of like forceful, very dominant, very persuasive, very kind of controlling and manipulative and kind of persuaded Samuel on this pipe dream of hers and this scamming and this scheme. It was kind of lust at the start, but Samuel still wanted to be with his ex. Dipping um, his hand in both pies. Oh, I know. So I don't know who's talking for who here, but everyone seems to want to blame Linda, but you can't have the cake and eat it too, doll. You can't. Anyway, so Hazard and Samuel, the happy couple, moved to Washington and Hazard opened her office in Seattle, Washington, but their home was in Alala, Kitsap County, Washington. So you know Alala. what that is. Alala. I don't know. Oh, my God. All of our two fans are going to scream at us. <laughs> two fans, listeners, are going to scream at us. Pronunciation, but bear with us. That's where she hoped to establish her sanatorium. So the word sanatorium creeps me out. Like I always think of, you know, Shutter Island when that visual of that like emaciated lady at the start and she makes the shh sign Mm, towards camera. I think of like like, sanitary bins. Yes, that. They're both just not nice places. Mm. No, not nice. But, yeah, so she wanted to open this sanatorium. So back then it was all the kind of rage in this this era to have your sanatorium for wealth, where wealthy people would go. There was heaps around the country. All around the world had their different versions of it. But anyways, Hazard has been busy. So in 1908 she self-published her book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, in which she wrote, and I quote, Appetite is craving, hunger is desire, craving is never satisfied, but desire is relieved. When want is supplied. I don't even know. Yeah. I reread that a thousand times. Also looked if it was the right wording. So this this lady is either gung-ho on fasting and actually believes in it herself or has mustered up enough information about fasting to write a book. Can you imagine being like in uni if when we were doing like psych or when you were doing cream and stuff at uni? On topics that you're interested in, it's still difficult to write a page of information, let alone a book about absolute bullshit. But she wrote it. And so Hazard believed that food was responsible for any kind of disease or sickness that people suffered, more precisely too much food. So despite having no evidence for her claims, Hazard preached that the human digestive system needed time to rest and benefited from regular fast, which lasted days, weeks or even months. I mean... In today's sort of literature and a lot more of the scientific method has been applied to studying dietitian and nutrition and stuff like that. And there is some benefit to fasting, right? Mm. Um, but it's not these what she's claiming of this extreme fasting that we'll, we'll later on hear about. But her idea was that fasting, again, could rid the body of toxins and correct the imbalances and therefore also prevent future illnesses. Linda continually promoted her therapy in the papers at the time and was selling the book for around $1.25. So that's roughly in today's money, $40, US dollars. But she was treating many patients at her office and started seeing a pretty healthy income of money. So that's when she was able to have enough to fund her her wellness place. I wonder because probably these poor people who were buying these books were getting – you know, thinner, they're probably thinking, oh, yeah, you know, and equating thinner to healthier back then. Yeah, but- I mean, when we, when we all start to get on some kind of health kick, there's the initial, you know, that sort of benefit feeling that you get where you feel a little bit better. Oh, like know- cutting out. Dairy and sugar Something or like, oh, of course, it's, it's causing an inflammatory response. Like, look, we're no experts when it comes to nutrition and dietetics. Don't take what we say as Bible. But we know that sometimes, oh, you know, cutting out alcohol, for example, for the next few days you feel so much better. Your body does. So 
they would get some kind of positive reinforcement of being like, oh, fasting, yeah, you know, it's kickstarting something in my metabolism. It's, it's you know, it's something that my body's not used to, so your body overcompensates and produces things to make you feel better. It makes sense. But it also preys on this sense of, oh, a new diet, a mm. new fad. And perhaps some of these richer people go, oh, I'll give anything a go, you know. Mm. Um, We'll give our podcast a go. How about that? <laughs> but anyway, so she she was treating many patients and so all that money came in. She opened her wellness place in Olala, Washington, and she called it Wilderness Heights. Mm. Okay. But wilderness? I don't know. It sounds mis- – Is like, it in the wilderness? Yeah, it was like in Washington. It was in Washington. But it was kind of in like looking at photos, kind of like foresty areas and stuff like that. It sounds very now vibes. Isn't it? It's like, like the, a retreat. We've come – exactly. And that – in these pamphlets for it, it was very much like a, an oasis and treats. Like Aussie's very own Nicole Kidman on Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, yes, but minus the starvation. Oh, my – well, yeah. Anyway, do yeah. continue. So she's – Opened a retreat. Yeah, with this wellness. And that was her dream. And obviously Sammy, Samuel, Hazardous Samuel, is in the background there somewhere as well. So if you could afford to stay, and it was a really pricey stay to stay at Dr. Hazard's strict um, retreat and strict diet, she would actually charge patients somewhere in today's money for around 2000 to 4000 a month. So that's in today's money. <sighs> like, who's got the money? Um, okay, so during the fast, Hazard's dictated that the patients only consumes liquids like vegetable broths and juices in very limited amounts. Some articles were saying just tomato juice, asparagus, and if they behave, orange juice. Why were they doing this, you say? Or like why were these patients, even after the first couple of days, continuing to do this? Many people, including Samuel and including some of the patients that survived, said she was extremely manipulative and controlling. Like she had a knack for convincing people to act against their best interest, i.e. starving themselves to death. And But people more so commented on this sort of larger-than-life commanding presence. Mm, they're always the ones. I know, like cult leaders, right? Mm. That's sort of a holy trifecta. And that she had this stormy look that she possessed, almost hypnotic, people were mm. saying. Um, but people speculated that she was also a member of an occult and she had powers from the devil. So probably, maybe, I don't mm. know. But Hazard's patients would spend time between the Seattle office that she had and then the Orala home in, at Wilderness Heights. Mm. But the locals in the area, so it was kind of like the place where she had her office was in Seattle, but the other place, like you said, was in this retreat kind of airy, fairy, hippie area. And locals like of the small towns and, and neighbouring houses called it Starvation Heights. So, and this is the name of actually one of the heavy sources from today's article by Greg Olson, which was Starvation Heights. Very, very detailed book. Almost when you read it, it's like fiction. That's how incredibly detailed and descriptive it is but it's all apparently based on fact so anyway patients were often transferred to wilderness heights only because they came too ill to function due to weeks or months of this fasting i was just about to say because in nowadays there are like two-week cleanses whether it is you know celery juice and it does uh people have said there's benefits but then they're back to normal yeah uh, or they ease back into eating yeah. or solids or whatever but it is. So months, months, but months of bone, get into vegetable it. broth. Yeah, and just we it gets a lot worse. Still, this is like obviously this is her controlling. So the people that were doing this treatment in the office, she's realizing that they're getting too sick to function. She's like, oh, well, come on, we'll take care of you at the heights. You know, come and stay. So here, this is when we talk about. Sorry. Like she just sees like dollar bill signs, basically. So, um, so. 
again, coming from that book, Starvation Heights, A True Story of True Story of Murder and Malice by Greg Olson, the early part of the book starts, actually reads from the tale of local scout boys regarding Starvation Heights. And I just thought it was interesting and descriptive. And then it actually follows the story of Claire and Dorothea Williamson, who we'll talk about later. But these local kids would, like as dares, go close to the retreat, her wilderness retreat, and get scared watching the just the patients wandering around Ugh. and collapse because they're so malnourished. They almost look like aliens falling to the oh, ground. That's major Shutter Island slash oh, zombie Walking Dead vibes. Isn't that scary? So now things start to get pretty serious and we start to talk about the first victims. So the, st- the first reported victims, other than that early case when she was still back mm. where she was. and she, but, but nothing came from it. No, right? nothing came. She wasn't – look, she wasn't legally charged. So alleged, alleged, alleged. Come after me, Linda. What you going to do? Anyway, uh, but starting in 1908, despite her dangerous methods, Hazard didn't have any difficulty convincing people that her treatments could work miracles for their health. Hazard was strongly influenced by a guy at the time as well, Edward Hooker Dewey, and he was an actual medical doctor. His book, The No Breakfast Plan and Fasting Cure. So he had a book. Everyone's mm. making books. Mm. I can barely start a podcast. But um, Dewey <laughs> argued that all the disease um, occurred as a result of overeating and fasting was the cure. Well, um, probably something in terms of like obes- obesity. And but he's saying skip re- breakfast, sort of similar to, you know, those yeah. fasting things now. So it's not... As re- no, outrageous and, as old mate, and her name? yeah, Hazard, Hazard, Linda, lovely Linda, but um, but you're spot on. So his was less of a strict approach, and certainly didn't lead to any long-standing deaths. And he was very much critically acclaimed in the medical world. So yeah. it was more so, like you said, a much more of a subtle approach. Um, well, each to their own. But still, the medical community, because he was speaking at medical conferences and stuff, still called him foolishly delusional. But Lizard was like, oh well, I'm just like you know, Edward Hooker or Dewey, you know, and his thing. So, but she supplemented her fasting. So going one step further with daily enemas, which lasted several hours and violent massages, which left her patients battered and bruising. Oh, what's an enema? So do you remember it's via the the poopy hole? They actually put, <laughs> I don't know what to say. If you, she just put her finger up the sky, like, where they actually flush water they pipe water in to um to sort of clean the, the eventually clean the colon and is it like a colony yes exactly uh. but daily enemas it's not supposed to be the case and then also violent massages and her patients were battered and bruises so mm. in the book it actually explained that hazard would hammer her fists into oh. the patient's back and thighs i mean if i could just slap Slap these thighs into shape. Oh. We'd all be we'd all be laughing. I've never heard of a thero gun, love. <laughs> oh, they're apparently they're really good. Yes. Hopefully, my secret Santa knows that. Oh. Um, <laughs> Don't wink at me. <laughs> um, in one account, it was said that Hazard's husband also watched from outside the window as she, ther- you know, fisted. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you stepped in it. <laughs> Take it back. Eat the words. As she, as she pum- pummeled their backs, essentially. So, no, it is like imagine how, first of all, you're malnourished, you're weak, and you're being pummeled. If you've been hit in the back by accident, or not by accident, but you know what it's like to take your wind taken out of you, your lungs are sitting so close to your diaphragm at the back there. It's just petrifying, and petrifying. The, and the enema, have you ever been, did you ever go to Bali Water Bomb Park? Yeah. You know that big water 
slide. <laughs> There's the, you mean the water slides in the water park? There's one that just drops yeah, you yeah. and I can imagine yeah. that that is like a colonic and oh. imagine just that over and over again. I think, guys, this is not a promotion for colonics. I think they're much more of a safer process um, and slight and and much more gentle, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> delivery of water than the rapid drop water slide at Waterbomb Park in mm. Indonesia's Bali. Potato, potato. You know, you're spot on. And that's what this podcast is about. Two perspectives, two girls just making their way through Waterbomb Park and colonics perhaps. In, in all sincerity, enemies are also exhausting on the body. Mm. They deplete you and they they take a lot of energy for your body to part. It's, they're very um, well used in therapy. I mean, people, unfortunately, with bowel cancers and really serious ailments have these things to help their sort of the sort of the end tract of the digestive system has heavy benefits. So we're not digging enemas. We're just saying daily ones whilst you're having beatings and you're starving yourself is probably not the best. Mm. So also has it insisted on an exercise program that included vigorous walks several times a day. And she would explain and shout, your bodies are full of poison. And imagine her in a booming voice. Mm. Um, this she-devil would, would yell at these people. So every which way your body's being exhausted. Clearly this is taking a toll at them mentally. And she would scream at them, you need to walk it out no matter how difficult it will be. Walk, walk, walk. This like military style. Yeah. All wow. of these different factors are so cult-like. The repetition, the commanding, the physical abuse, everything. Crazy. So in the year 1908 saw two fatalities caused by hazards deadly treatments. These included Daisy Maud Hugland, a wealthy Norwegian immigrant who died on February 26th at the age of 38 after fasting for 50 days. Her son Ivar was just three years old when his mum succumbed to hazards treatment, although an autopsy would later show that she had terminal stomach cancer anyway. Look, that's not to say she, oh, she's going to die anyway. 50 days of no food, just this vegetable broth and juice and stuff. Yep. Interestingly, Ivor would later go on to establish a hugely successful Seattle restaurant train called Ivor's, which is still in actual operation today. So it's yeah, Ivor's the son. Yeah, yeah, the three-year-old um, when his mother passed, um, which is interesting because he then opened a restaurant chain, like the, the contrast here. Mm. But Dr. Hazard would write on their death certificate that they had died from the long-term illness that went unfound in them before they would enter the Wilderness Heights. Because she's the MD signing on these, oh, quotation marks, signing on the coroner's report, their cause of death. So You're she's just, judge, jury and executioner. Uh... It all just fits nicely for her, doesn't it? Very clever. So, um, But she would perform her own autopsies as well, so listing all these causes of death with all these like cancer or psoriasis of the liver and but all sorts of things other than I have caused starvation, I've beaten them to death kind of thing. Oh, well, she's not going to write that. No, who? Well. However, as we get into more deaths, sometimes an autopsy is performed by an actual medical professional, uh, medical professional and professional, <laughs> professional, as in like a real, real professional. And the cause of death was actually listed as starvation. So mm. some people actually do real, real life signs. Now, unfortunately, Ida Wilcox, who fasted for forty-seven days, died that year on September twenty-six. So then 1909, Violet Heaton died of starvation on March 24th and Blanche B. Tyndall, what a name, died on June 18th in 1909. How old were all these people? Oh, mid-30s to 40s. Shocking. Shocking. Mm. It was becoming clear that something was badly wrong. However, Seattle's health director at the time insisted that nothing could be done as people, like you said, were willingly putting themselves into hazards care. 
Also, this is where you start to get suspicious because it turns out that Hazard was also donating funds to these health boards and mm. politicians at the time and somewhat convoluted in the high society. So obviously she, when she was promoting her stuff, she was promoting it to the healthy people of Washington and Seattle and, and all abroad in America and to travellers and tourists that coming in on boats and stuff like that. So she's very, very clever and, and manipulating this sort of society at the time as well. So it's believed, at least at least alleged, that she got away with some of her message because people were protecting her. So, and another victim I'm charging through here now is 26-year-old New Zealander Eugene Stanley Wakelin was found dead from a gunshot wound to the head on their Olalala wilderness property. So that's not starvation. <laughs> that's Yeah, I mean, I'm no specialist. But while it was initially assumed that Wakelin had committed suicide, Wakelin was the son of a British lord, so Hazard assumed he had money. But when it turned out he wasn't wealthy after all, it was suspected that Hazard that, that the Hazard, so Samuel and Linda, may have been the one to kill him out of frustration. So basically mm. they're like, oh, well, we can't keep getting money out of him. Oh. Bang, bang. And this is where, if you haven't already clued on, the intent is coming a little more clear, um, not just driven by her own delicious, um, delusions, but also by greed. So now we move into um, 1910, where Maud Whitney, another victim, died as a result of fasting. That same year, 24-year-old Earl Edward Erdman, so it's men and women being succumbing to this sort of mm-hmm. trick, um, a civil engineer like Mackie, our brother, mm-hmm. was in search of a physician who could help with his painful indigestion. He had been to several doctors, none of whom could bring him any relief, so he turned to have You had I don't know. We could give him some. Mm, Perhaps, mm. Puskapan, if you're listening, send us a box. Mm. Oops. I wish we could send it to Earl. I oh, wish. greedy pig. <laughs> so Earl Edward had been to several of the doctors, none of whom brought him relief, so he turned to Hazard. During a consult, Hazard assured him that her fasting treatment was just what he needed. So his treatment began on February 1st, and by March 28th, he was dead. But he actually kept a diary through every single day of his treatment. But that's only a month and a half or something. So 1st of Feb till the end of March. That's only two months. Yes. So I think it gives me the date in a sec. We quickly, we'll run it through it for you. But at the start, it was a bit more, there was way more description in the diary. And then as he kept going, he's obviously absolutely exhausted. He doesn't fill it in. But February 1st, saw Dr. Hazard, begins treatment this date. No breakfast, mashed soup dinner, mashed soup supper. February 5th to 8th, one orange breakfast, mashed soup dinner, mashed soup supper. Same thing for February 9th to 11th, but it was a strained soup dinner and strained soup supper. So you've gone from a little bit of solids, kind of like the reverse of baby food, like where mm. you're, you know, you're going backwards, backwards. Later on in February, two orange breakfasts, no dinner, no supper. February 14th, Valentine's Day, one cup of strained tomato broth at 6 p.m. So you wake up. And that's all you have at 6pm. And think of a one cup measuring spoon. It's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. Like I have one cup of oats doll in the morning for breakfast mm. with other, like, oh, anyway. Um, one cup hot strained tomato soup. This is February 16th. Soup AM and PM. Slept better last night. Head quite dizzy. Oh. Eyes yellow, streaked and red. So oh. these are really early signs of he malnourishment. He slept better because it was at dinner time. Probably. Oh, probably. This, so this is in the middle. So he'd already been fasting for 16 days, essentially. 
February 17th, ate three oranges today. February 19th, called on Dr. Dawson today at home. So he called his doctor at home to let him know how things were going. Slept well Saturday. So this guy, remember, he went in for indigestion. So February 20th, ate strained juice, two small oranges, dizzy all day, ate strained Eight. Well, he drank strained juice of two small oranges at 5 p.m. So I'll just try and run through a bit. But he begins to the same really um, malnourished diet, barely a diet. This is just liquids here with a tiny bit of nourishment. But he starts to go back eight today below the ribs. Then again, oh. um, back eight today, right side just below the ribs. So this is where all his vital organs are screaming so his liver his kidneys so these yellow in the eyes are showing some serious signs where there's mm. you're getting some serious serious harm here so then later in february slept slept but little last night went after milk and felt very bad ate small two oranges after 6 p.m then later in february so february 26th i'll try and run through this but frontal headache ate two oranges heart rate hit up to 95 beats per minute a sweat considerable. So mm. this guy's showing signs of he's 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 coming to the end of his life. Mm. Then right at the end in his last entry, did not this is February twenty sixth. Remember he died March twenty eighth, so he didn't have access to his diary um, all throughout March, but did not sleep so very well Friday night. Pain in right side just below ribs. Pain quit in night. Ate one and a half cups tomato broth at. 10.45 a.m., ate two and a half pump small oranges. And so he's, even his writing is mm. deteriorating um, and me delivering his writing. Felt better afternoon than for the last week. So some sense of perhaps euphoria is kicking in as the body is trying to prevent mechan- um, mechanisms towards death. But the day after Erdman's death, this Seattle Daily News headline read, Women MD kills another patient. So the media is starting to cover this, you know. Mm. Um, so people did start to catch on. But in 1911, Lewis E. Radar, a former Washington state legislator and publisher of the magazine Sound Views, sought treatment from Hazard for stomach pain. Radar, an Alala resident, was treated at home in the beginning but was eventually moved to Seattle's Outlook Hospital, um, Hotel. Um, health inspectors tried desperately to convince Radar to cease the treatment from Hazard, but he refused. So he was under her spell. So he was volunteering to do this but wasn't actually still at the residence, but he just was still going with the commands from Linda. It must have been like a very bougie status thing to do at the time. Yeah. If you're getting all these rich people with no... But he refused and likely delusional from lack of food and telling them to, like, leave him alone, leave him alone. But then Raider died on May 11th after just a 37-day fast, weighing less than 100 pounds, which is, like, roughly less than 45 kilos. Oh, my god! This is a grown man. And he was 5 foot 11 and was just 46 years old. So... Mm. Also, lawyer Frank Southard and C.A. Harrison, publisher of Alaska Yukon magazine, died the same year. So two more um, gentlemen. A British man named John Ivan Flux had come to America to purchase a ranch and he died after 53-day-long fast. Sounds like the 50-day mark is when a human the bodies body, are like, no. That's it. That's capacity. And there's beatings. There's the... There's the walks, but it's it's a long enough time to for Linda and and Samuel to do what they want with these people. Mm. But so before his death, he signed over his assets to Hazard. Oh, he died with just seventy dollars to his name. So now we get to the probably the most famous case, and that's the Williamson sisters. Just think of that in that time. So between the thirty to fifty day mark, when they were getting delirious, 
that's when Linda kind of steps in and is like, we'll sign your stuff over, mm. but we'll get into it. So the Williamson sisters, perhaps so you or me sometime soon, in their 30s, were British sisters Claire and Dorothea. They called her Dora um, Williamson. Like I mentioned in Greg Olson's book earlier, covers these sisters in much, much better detail. The Williamson sisters had quite a lot of money, too much time to know what to do with it, but they were also hypochondriacs and avid followers of alternative medicine. Mm. So not unlike so many people we can think of today that are just hypersensitive, you know, new age kind of health people and stuff like that, always looking for alternative methods and sort of going on that journey. So they were also at that time were vegetarians and like, and not saying it's a fad, but they will also try other fads as well. So they opted to avoid meat to, they thought it would help their digestion and it probably did. They would try a lot more other sort of revolutionary stuff. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they wanted to try another famous sanatorium of the very famous, not sure if you heard of him, Joel, Harvey Kellogg um, at the time. So <gasps> Kellogg's mu- yes. uh, mu- oh. Well, muesli, cornflakes, yes. that's just to name a few. Kellogg's, send us your little travel packs. We love those boxes. <laughs> oh, agree, little pig. <laughs> shotgun on the uh, Cocoa Pops or shotgun on the Fruit Loops. Yeah, so actually Harvey Kellogg's or the Kellogg brothers at the time had their own one and it wasn't actually in that area in America. It was actually a little bit further away. So they thought, oh, it's too far for them to travel, you know. But damn it, if they only actually went to the Kellogg's because they could have eaten all the cornflakes. No, um, but the brothers actually believed that the remedy to ailments was nutrition, so actually feeding people better food. (gasps) What? Oh, so revolutionary. (laughs) It's not good enough for these girls. Um, But anyway, so they first saw an advertisement of Hazard's book, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, in the Seattle newspaper. So Hazard was still pumping out the goods. Like she was still promoting herself, still like having little flyers and stuff. And she would put in her books a little ticket like to say like, oh, you know, Wilderness Heights with like all this pretty stuff around it. Like Mm. this is the retreat. Um, And they saw this while staying in a luxury hotel in Victoria in British Columbia. Um, they ordered the book right away and when it arrived, like I said, tucked in this little pamphlet, it appealed to them almost like a natural oasis and as a retreat, like you said at the start. So the sisters immediately became enthralled with the idea and signed up straight away. They didn't tell their families because mm. at this point, imagine if you go, oh, I'm doing this treatment, now I'm doing paleo and now I'm doing fasting. and now So it's a similar They get thing. some backlash. And yeah, the so they... They didn't tell them, including their uncle who cared a lot about them. So knowing that they would disapprove, so they're like, oh, we just won't tell them kind of thing. Mm. So it was said that Claire, the younger one, so it could be you in this scenario, mm-hmm. um, she had actually, she had self sort of diagnosed swollen glands, but also acute rheumatic pain. So it's like, you know, joints and stuff like that. Okay. And Dora was actually suffering from a condition at the time called drop uterus. Um, and I looked this up and it's actually pretty terrible. I know that they said they're the hypochondriacs, but you can't really make up this pain. And describing it, and this bit of a trigger warning here, but describing it as though her uterus dragged like a dead dog on a leash, pressing oh. on her spine, inflaming the tissues. So oh. I don't know how you can make that up. No. But the sisters and hazards wrote back and forth, and some of this is still kept to this day. The way that hazard writes is so persuasive and appealing, the poor little things. And she, in sorry, in the quote by in Greg Olson's book, because one of the sisters are able to recount this, is that, Claire goes to Dora or Dorothea, dare we do it? And then Dora smiles, grab Claire's hand and squeeze, dare we not? Aww. So they were both excited. Like we would be excited. Like, oh, let's go. Two little sweethearts. Yeah. Like you just were like doing it together. Like, dare we not? 
Mm. You know, the reality obviously was far from what they had imagined. The sanitarium wasn't ready yet, so... She actually installed the sisters in a Seattle apartment, like a small thing as promised. She fed them, so she didn't quite get them ready on the retreat yet. Mm. But so she fed them two small portions of canned tomato broth twice a day and gave them daily violent massages. Through these massages, she would... Uh, massages. Ma- <laughs> massages. That's it, doll. She would scream, eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. And in this time, and in this case, the enema that lasted several hours, oh. uh, which were in bathtubs. With, I was, was yeah. going to say, how are they doing that in a hotel? No, this enema like lasted several hours and were in bathtubs with canvas that held them upright. So it's kind of like they're sitting in this big tub and a canvas is put on top of the, like almost like a lid with them sticking out on the other end. But it was so painful and absolutely destroying that they would regularly faint and they would still kept. So I don't really know how the system worked because enemas essentially, you know, they flood water into the system and then the, the water actually has to come out and it sort Maybe of releases. They use some sort of hose device or something. Yeah, well, I mean, that's how the enema works. But I just, if you're in the bathtub, the water's coming out. So I don't know. It's just It's just a really complicated situation. So... Hazard would also keep the sisters apart and would wear the sisters' clothes. So can you imagine if we went into something together, like going on a holiday and they tried to keep us apart? I mm. would tear through well, Linda. Then, you know, the hotel owner comes out with my... my <laughs> Your robe. Yeah, my robe. Like, <laughs> and comes and gives you a little buffet morning. It's like a power trip. Yeah, but I would absolutely just, if they tried to keep me, if they said, oh, we'll just keep you apart from your sister, I would crack skulls. But it might be because it's just the oh the process boss, the process the boss yeah yeah and they're sort of like command anyway. But as Cla- as Claire and Dora began to grow weaker, Hazard began questioning them about the size of the worth of their estate. Mm. And once the women had been receiving treatment for around two months, they were then transferred to Hazard's own home in Alala, which was kind of on the retreat as well. Okay. So now we get into, thank God, the rescue mission. So Margaret Conway, Claire and Dora's childhood nanny, received a strange letter asking that she come to Alala as soon as possible. So Margaret arrived in Seattle by boat on June 1st. Guess where she was coming from? She's coming from Victoria, Australia. So it took her a month. But she yeah, she had to go by boat. Um, so it took her a month. Samuel Hazard, Linda's dubious man love, met her at the boat terminal with some shocking news that Claire was dead. <sighs> Linda Hazard insisted that Claire's died of psoriasis of the liver and and would have had died regardless of her fasting treatment. Yeah, yeah. But on seeing Claire's body, Conway was stunned. So Margie was absolutely shocked. It looked like nothing like Claire. Um, and when she arrived at the Olala at the house or the residence, she was taken to see Dora, who was living in dire conditions on the Olala property, like in this sort of a shack, in this rundown sort of a room. So nothing like the retreat that the retreat they were promised, absolutely stripped of all like essentials and necessities. She was just days away from death herself. So the mm. older sister, Dora, completely delusional. She insisted that her treatment was still helping her uh, and that she didn't want to leave. So also Conway made even more sort of disturbing revelations that Claire had signed her over her estate to Hazard right before she died. 
mm, again, I like swindled. That, uh, yeah. Um, Hazard had also been appointed to Dora's guardian for life, um, and she'd also signed her power of attorney to Samuel Hazard. So all um, legal power has gone away to this, this Hazard family. So Conway realised that Hazard was helping herself to Claire's wardrobe, reg- again, regularly wearing the dead women's clothes and jewellery. So that's a whole different kink. Like, that's just that's, weird. But also wearing it whilst you've got, you know, a close relative or close friend coming to visit, the audacity. like Yeah, yeah. But so messed up. So though uh, intimidated by Hazard, Conway knew that Hazards were, they were dangerous and that she had to help Dora. So whilst Conway was there, other patients eerily would come up to her really emaciated and said, and they were asking her to help them, like, like, please get us out of here. Anyway, she finally got up the courage to tell Linda Hazard that she was leaving with Dora, but Hazard said no, that she couldn't, as she um, was actually Dora's guardian, et cetera, et cetera. But Conway managed to send a message to Dora, or Dorothea's uncle, John Herbert, in Portland, and was telling him of the danger that his niece was in, that she really badly needed his help. Herbert arrived um, as quick as he could, and Hazard immediately handed over a bill of $2,000. And that, in today's money, is $65,000 for Dora. So basically to say, like, if you want her to claim her back and the power of attorney, you must pay $65,000. Get lost. That's. But he managed to haggle this down to around $1,000 at the time, which is $33,000. So half. Pretty yeah, much pretty half. much half. But still money for a person. Yeah. This is not cattle, which is even worse. Like trading anything physical is mm. just is just terrible. Herbert Conway and a skeletal Dora at this point left the property never to return. So then, really shortly after this, the arrest of Hazard. So August, Thank I know. Gosh. On August 11th, 1911, Linda Hazard was arrested for the murder of Claire Williamson, and in January 1912, Hazard's trial began. So the jury heard testimony from nurses who worked for Hazard. They they actually detailed the horrific treatment on par with torture that the sisters endured um, at the hands of Hazard. So why were they going along with it? Maybe they were paid. Yeah, uh, of course they were Yeah, yeah. and like maybe they themselves, when you're starting to work, like all other kind of people in cults, not saying that this is a whole cult, but under positions of power, you kind of – you go along with it because rejecting it, then you have to face the like insanity that you're working with. So you kind of ha- felt like you have to go, I don't know, I don't know, I'm just speculating. But thankfully they did. They they delivered testimonies against Linda. The prosecution explained how Hazard and her husband not only starved the sisters physically but financially by taking away or taking advantage of all their valuables and all the vulnerable states and by draining them of their assets. So it was kind of this whole the media thing at the time, starving them physically and starving them financially. It was pretty yeah. clever and, and caught a lot of wind at the time. And at the time, actually, in some of the articles, they headlines like financial starvation. So it was really, in this case, thankfully, the media were really helpful in showcasing really what this monster was doing. So Hazard maintained that the starvation was never the cause of death in any of her patients, um, but they had all died of things that were plaguing them before the fasting. Um, she argued that she was being attacked for being a successful woman. Like, I'm sorry, Linda Love, <laughs> you're killing people. Like, that's not successful medicine. If, like, I hate it if people do try to attack a successful woman. Like, don't do that. Mm. If it's successful medicine, 
that means you're saving people or prolonging life or increasing the quality of life. That's successful medicine. Any excuse, I think. Oh, any excuse. Uh, and she, she apparently she was enjoying the publicity as well. So she's mm. already up there with... Probably wearing Claire's oh, best silk dress. Oh, you'd know it. You'd know it. But the jury actually sided with the prosecution um, and Hazard was ultimately convicted of manslaughter. Boom. So she, boom. She was sentenced to two to... Two, from two to 20 years of hard labour at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. Mm. Similar to Wagga Two Wagga. to 22. I know. I, I mean, you hear the whack things that women were pre- um, sentenced to, like, back in those days. It, there's like, oh, it's a woman doing a crime. It's two years old could to 22. Could be two years. Could be 22. 22. Um, but again, remember, she was in the pockets of politicians, oh, systems yes, and stuff. Yes, yes. But she was released. So that was back what? What did I say? The whole trial was like 1911 to sort of 1912. But she was released on parole in December 1915, so only a few years, and was granted a pardon shortly after by Governor Ernest Lister. Oh, of course she was. Oh, again, it seems like there was Governor a lot of... Governor Ernest. Yeah, Ernest. had a lot of donations. But after Not serving... so Ernest. <laughs> oh, you're good with your words, John. Mm. After serving, it's all those books you read, mm-hmm. big reader, big, big reader. After serving only two, like just over two years, Samuel and Linda moved closer to our shores in New Zealand where Hazard, like Hazard's following overseas was still very much alive. So just like today where you kind of have these groupings of people that are like, oh, we're, we're into this, we're into that, you know, all around the world. She had one over in our, like near our shores in New Zealand. Yeah, well, no one could... You know, comment on her Insta back then. <laughs> and say you're a fraud. Yes. You're quack. Um, but she, but what's also interesting is that some people say that she was pardoned because it was such a stain in Seattle at the time that pardoned, but that the actual governor said, yeah, we'll pardon you, but you've got to rack off, lady. Yeah. Like, get out. Get. Go on, get. Go on. Go on, get. And then so while in New Zealand, Hazard continued to refer to herself as a doctor despite having no medical license or actually the the one in Washington was actually revoked. And thankfully, in 1917, authorities in New Zealand were actually alerted that Hazard was not a real doctor and they charged her with practising without a registration. So thank God they're more onto it over there in New Zealand. Um, So she was found guilty but only received a small fine for her crime. Then... We go back to la 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 la. The hazards returned in 1920 uh, and finally built the sanitarium to all what they wanted it to be. I know, calling it this time a school for health. Mm. So there must have been enough time to pass for them people to continually be intrigued by her methods and she still had a steady flow of gullible patients showing up at her retreat for this fasting treatment. So... People continued to be intrigued by Hazard's methods and she had a steady flow of gullible patients showing up in a la-la-la for these fasting treatments. Hazard continued supervising um, the fasts as if the the last previous nine years had never happened. So she started all again back in her retreat and it's not known how many more patients died in her care. She wrote another book in... I know, in 1927, um, and then continues to get fans and patients. And in 1935, the sanitarium suspiciously burnt down. So, you mean the School of Health? Yes, yeah, sorry, doll. The, the, the splendid, not the School of Rock, the mm. School of Health. 
But so it burned to the ground. So call it mysterious forces. But I love those forces. Mm. Um, no one really knows. I couldn't find anything Calm on as it. a bitch. Then, so she's getting on now, Linda Hazard. Mm. Um, but then in 1938, three years later, Hazard fell ill and undertook a fast of her own. So June, I know, June 24th, she starved to death at the age of 70 years old. Mm. Let's say she got a taste of her own medicine. Mm. And weird, not many articles focus on him, but Samuel, ha- Samuel Hazard died eight years later just of natural causes. That is the crazy story of Linda Hazard, the starvation doctor of Starvation Heights. So this to in history goes down to one of the first Washington female serial killers, essentially. Um, mm. But that's just the whack and crazy story of an era, of a time. Yeah. I'm just still. So do you think, this is what I want to know, do you think so the fact that she undertook a fast of her own, does she genuinely believe it worked? And so she, or was it like, oh, I must die, live by the sword, die by the sword? Or what? Because she's obviously had a plan to swindle no. these people. I don't think – do you really think she would have been that bad? I think because her motive was money and it wasn't really – she didn't want to just kill people. She must have been in denial. That, that's what I think. Like they're that deluded or you're living so much of a lie that you have to go along with it yourself. Mm. Like, But but then she died herself. She did it. But but she was still swindling these people and swindling money. It's just, just crazy. But I wonder if she was even following this as – all the, the time. Yeah. Surely she wouldn't because she wouldn't have lasted all no, that time. No, so I think she must well, she mustn't have thought she was sick because she was only treating these people, preventing illness with starvation. We'll, we'll post a few pickies on um, our Instagram for this episode, episode two, and just to show her she, by all means, was, um you know, petite herself, but certainly didn't look emaciated like some of her victims. But that wraps up the second episode, guys. Whatever battles you're facing, whatever good you're doing, as long as you're not starving people, keep going. (laughs) All right, guys. Speak to you soon. Bye. Goodbye. Have you got a terrible story of your own? A connection to true crime or something terrible? Write to us at ttkgpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and whether the story and names are safe to share on the podcast. Feel free to tell us if you wish to remain anonymous. We would love to hear from you and we would love to share your terrible tales with our listener friends. Wait, don't go. If you like us or want us to keep going, please help us with a like, share, rate or review of our podcast. This helps us reach more listener friends and would mean so much to our little podcast.